And go ahead and grab your Bibles, open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We continue our study on what it uh, means to live or uh, follow Jesus in a, in a mess, messy world. And today we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 5 verses, well it says 1 through 10, but as you'll see we're actually not going to quite get that far. But uh, um, chapter 5, let's just read the first five verses. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this house, in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to be able to worship you this morning. And we pray now as we come to the preaching that it would be you that's glorified, but also you that would work in our hearts and minds through this message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we've had a lot of different things this morning, and I had planned something different this morning as well. We've got a a video uh, that we're going to watch for my intro to the message today. So... I don't necessarily believe in heaven um, per se, but probably uh, that there's certainly an afterlife um, and there's a chance to reconnect with people who um, have meant a great deal to you throughout your own life. Um, I also have somewhat of a belief in um, being reborn as well, um, coming back or having a number of different lives. I think when we die, there's nothing. You die and that was it. Like I, th- I believe in you have just this one life to live and you should live it to, to your fullest as much as possible and I don't believe that there's a limb or that you end up in eternity or you're then just a spare like how do you say it just like surrounding people and I don't believe in heaven I don't believe in hell it's just this this is the one life that you have and after this there's nothing what happens when we die um, I think on some level we go somewhere but I think maybe it's more of a peaceful thing um, you reach a point where you're happy with what you've done in your life and who you've been around and all that. And, yeah, you don't necessarily go to a, a heaven, a happy place, but, I mean, happy for yourself, really, but it's not it's not the same for everybody. So I guess, yeah, you're at more at peace, really. I don't necessarily believe in heaven either. I do believe in the idea that, yeah, the people that you love don't necessarily leave this earth forever but they maybe go on to a better place or they kind of stick around this place but I don't think that your entry into the gates of heaven should be based on how you live this life because I think that's a little bit too judgmental and I thought God wasn't supposed to judge but hey yeah what happens when we die I don't know I think there's something beyond this I think there's plenty of anecdotal information that there is something beyond our existence. I don't believe in heaven, even though I wish there's a heaven or something, but I really think that after our lives there's like nothing. I believe in reincarnation and the 
Everlast, Everlasting, I do believe it. I think that you are here taking bags in this life, and you go, and then you come back and take more bags, and you are accumulating this bag until you be full of bags, and you have everything that you need, and then you go and stay there forever. I do believe in heaven. I do believe in somewhere that you go after you die, and somewhere cool and better than earth. I do believe if, if you are good, you have your place. If you are bad, you have your place like hell and that stuff. But I do believe that Jesus is going to save everybody. And it doesn't matter if we're bad here or, or if you're good. Because I guess if you're bad, you go to hell and then you stay there for a while. Paying for the price, that you, the mistakes that you made here. And then you go to heaven. I'm not sure if there's a heaven. I kind of hope that there's a hell. Uh, I'm very pessimistic. I believe that everyone should get their... Everyone should get theirs, basically. Um, if there were a heaven, I think we'd have, like, one of the main things that would be required is to be good to your neighbor, your brother, your friends, your fellow man. I think that may be the essential thing to enter heaven if it were to exist. What happens when we die is, yeah, you, you do go to heaven, you know, if you've lived, you've lived along, along the guidelines of the Lord, so... Um, I don't think that nothing happens when you die, and I'll always, always believe that. I can't believe that when you, that the human spirit and soul, you know, because, like, human beings are great, you know, like, you know, there's... Go watch religion. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, so what'd you notice in that video? You know, there was a whole lot of statements like, I want to believe, I hope. I think maybe, and just a whole lot of confusion. And I believe that's probably pretty indicative, pretty common. If you were to go to the streets of Hot Springs and ask, you would have a lot of those same types of responses. I hope, I think, I want to believe, I don't know. Uh, confusion. So I'm so glad that God gives us something different than mere wishful thinking here in 2 Corinthians. If a person was uh, to divide this section uh, of, of um, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 in, into its three main points, you would have uh, the fact of what happens and then the um, basis for what happens next and then the implications of what happens next. And we're going to cover the first two points this morning and point three next week. So we're going to get started um, looking at the first three words of this passage. It says, for we know. Man, what a, what a great way to begin a, a passage on what happens when you die. He's not talking about some vague possibility or some hazy, uh, indistinct wish. This is a certainty. It's a fixed reality. It's a lean back, put your feet up on the, uh, on, on the table, I'm absolutely sure kind of thing that he's talking about. For we know, he says. Anybody in here ever watched uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I, I, I used to like that game show. I watched one time, uh, and I watched a guy go all the way through all the questions you had to answer to the million dollar question and he had never once used any of his lifelines remember you had three lifelines you could eliminate two of the possible answers or you could ask the audience and get a poll or you could phone a friend and on that final million dollar question he phoned a friend 
And uh, I believe it was his dad that he called. Don't quote me. I can't remember that for sure. But I believe it was his dad he called. And, and, and when he got on the phone, he didn't ask for help with the question. He just said, hey, dad, I'm on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And I just wanted to let you know I just won a million dollars. And then he turned to the host, gave the answer, and sure enough, it was right, and he won the million bucks. That is confidence. He was so certain that he was right even before he, he found out the, the correct answer that he could say on national TV in front of millions of people, yeah, I just won a million bucks. That's the kind of confidence that the Apostle Paul is saying that we have here. For we know, he says. But, but what is it we're confident about? Well, look, look at the rest of the verse. For we know that if this earthly tent which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So the first thing we need to understand from this verse is that Paul is using the word tent as a metaphor to speak about our, our bodies, right? And, and so when he says that this tent is going to be torn down or destroyed or dissolved, depending on uh, which translation of the Bible you use, all, all the same idea there, uh, he's talking about that time when we will die. And, and notice, though, that he says, if, if this earthly tent is torn down. Well, that, that would seem to indicate uh, that there's a possibility that it might not be torn down, right? And we know that when it comes to death, it's not a matter of if, but when. Maybe you've seen this common gag that's used pretty frequently in movies where, you know, a group of people are in some type of tense situation, dangerous situation, uh, and then all of a sudden alarms start going off or a bad guy or a group of bad guys shows up or, or, or some natural disaster or something looks like it's just going to overwhelm the people. And, and, and in that moment, one panicky person runs around and goes, we're all going to die. You've seen that, right, in movies, right? And then, you know, you know, usually something else happens and no, they don't die and, and they keep going on. But we know the reality in this world, right? We're all going to die. That, that's the way it is. Or is it? Why would the Apostle Paul say, if? Well, the Greeks, you know, wanting to be very precise in their language, actually have five different words that can be translated as if into the English language. And my assumption uh, when I began studying this chapter earlier in this week was that this would be the Greek word that means if and since it is. If you're going to die and yeah, since you will. But it's not that word. It's the word that means if in the traditional way we think of it as it may or may not be. So was Paul saying that it may not be that there would we would die, that there would be some that wouldn't die? Well, actually, he is. See, he knew that at some point in history, Jesus Christ is going to come back and receive to himself all those who believe in him. And Paul spoke about this event uh, to the Corinthians, but also to the Thessalonians when he said, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then 
we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. So there are some people whose earthly tent will never be torn down. They will not, as the Old Testament is fond of saying, go the way of all the earth. They're not going to die. They're going to be raptured into heaven. So Paul can rightly say, if, if this is torn down. All right, so getting back to verse 1, notice also that Paul does not use the personal pronoun of I when talking about dying. He says, if this earthly tent, which is our body, or which is our house, is torn down. Again, we said the tent is a metaphor for the body. See, he's making a very subtle but important distinction between his body and his person. Who he is, the I, the person, is not going to be torn down, just the tent, the body. And again, I think we know and we, we, we understand this truth, but it's good for us to be reminded of it every now and again. You are not your body. The true you is the spirit that lives within. Now, God created us to live in a physical world, right? Therefore, we needed a physical form in order to move around and interact in this physical environment. And your body is simply the vehicle which holds the real you. Now, as a vehicle, I know, you know some people get Lamborghinis and others of us are stuck with like Ford Pintos, but, you know... Uh, Maybe you were hoping to be ram tough and ended up kind of Prius soft or something. I don't know, but they're all, just, they're all just vehicles, okay? And the point is, the essential man, who you are, is going to go right through this tearing down process unharmed and unscathed. The, the tent might be torn down, but you will not be hurt. And we hinted at that a little bit last Sunday when... Paul talked about our outer man decaying, you know, day by day. It's, it's, it, it is going downhill and, and, and going to fall apart. But the inner man, the real you, uh, uh, it, 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 even while your body, even while the tent is dissolving, is going to be renewed day by day. And tent, it's a pretty good metaphor for our body, right? Because a tent is, is a, a flimsy, more easily broken down structure than, than a house built on a, a solid foundation. And even back in those days in Israel when this was right, when there were some small groups of nomadic people who, who continued to live in tents all the time, the ideal was a permanent house. That, that's what people wanted. You remember when the children of Israel, after they uh, uh, were freed from Egypt and then they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, they were all living in tents. But Moses would frequently encourage them by reminding them that in the promised land where they were going, they would have a house, houses and, and cities to live in. That's, that's the ideal. And again, getting back to verse 1, uh, the point is, apart from Jesus coming back and, and taking us to heaven, we're, we're all going to experience our tent being torn down. We're all going to ha- a die, but then what happens next? That's the big question that confuses, that flummoxes uh, so many people in this world. However, we get to approach it from the for we know 
perspective. Remember, that's how the verse starts. For we know if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. So when this temporary tent goes, we get a permanent building on a foundation. And that's, you know, a very poetic and descriptive way of saying, hey, we're going to get a new body and it will be much nicer and much better than the body we currently possess. That phrase, made without hands, that appears actually several different times in the New Testament, but, but one place where it's made real clear what exactly that means is Hebrews 9.11 when it says this, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And so that verse makes it very clear that that something that's not made with hands means it's something that is very distinct from this current physical creation. So this new house, this new body that we're going to get is a new and different kind of body. And Paul didn't really have to explain what that meant uh, to the Corinthians because he had already explained what this new body was to them earlier in the first letter that he had written, 1 Corinthians, when he said, so also in the resurrection of the dead, and talking about the body, it is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So do you, do you want to know what's going to happen after you die? Well, you are going to get a new body. Far better than any Lamborghini down here. Now, how do we know it's going to be that much better? Well, look at verse 4. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. See, being in this body, it says we groan and are burdened. In the next, we don't, we will not. So simple question here. What makes us groan? How about injuries and illnesses? How about weaknesses and infirmity? How about diseases and disabilities? How about the simple fact that we get older and weaker and slower and the body wears out and breaks down? Of course, we know it's not actually just those physical things that make us groan. We groan because of heartaches, because of disappointments, because of betrayals, and because of all kinds of other emotional wounds. See, when it comes down to the bottom line, we groan because of sin and all of the negative nasty effects of sin. So we know the next body is going to be better because this mortal is going to be swallowed up by life. Mortal refers to this, this current, broken, sin-cursed, 
state of affairs where life refers to that which is going to come, this which God has promised to us. And, you know, we don't have a ton of information on exactly what all that means and what that's going to be like, but we get little snippets from various places in Scripture, uh, like the book of Revelation in chapter 22, it says, there will no longer be any curse. Man, think about that. When Adam and Eve sinned and, and, and fell against God, God's curse came down upon the earth and death with it, with it and, and all those negative impacts of sin. But, but all of that's going to be removed. There will no longer be any curse. The negative effects will be obliterated. And then Revelation 21 verse 4 gives us you know, just a tiny snapshot of, of some of the implications of what that will mean for us says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things are passed away. Nothing that causes pain will be left. Wow, is it, is it any wonder then that Paul writes, for indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. You know, the more we experience and understand the hurts and the heartaches and the messiness of this world, the stronger our desire grows for what comes next, isn't it? I mean, that's why older people tend to long for heaven more than the young, right? Because we have experienced more hurts, more heartaches, more disappointments, more messiness than the young. And by we, of course, I mean all you older people out there. But <laughs> actually, you know, for all of us, we can, we can flip this whole idea around. See, it's not just pain that makes us long for heaven. The more we understand the perfection and the joy and the excitement of this life to come, then the greater our desire will grow to be there as well. I mean, if you picture heaven the way it's commonly depicted in the, in the comics, right, sitting around on a cloud uh, with a harp, why would anybody want to go there? You know, I mean, hey, I like harp music as much as the next guy. But for eternity, come on, man, I, I don't think I can do that. So here, here's just a, a fun fact for you. Did you know, as Christians, we're not going to be spending eternity in heaven as far as the up there in the clouds somewhere goes? And I know that comes as a bit of a surprise to some people, but you see, the Bible makes it pretty clear. It says that this current heavens and earth will be destroyed with fire, right? The apostle Peter uh, describes it this way. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and all of its works will be burned up. So it's not just a flippant uh, saying when we say this is all going to burn, right? Everything we see around us, this whole world, it is coming to an end. But as a Christian, we know that there is something more, right? Peter goes on to say, but according to his promise, we are looking for what? A new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then the book of Revelation, especially chapter 21, but other places, makes it abundantly clear that we are actually going to be living then on that new earth. And this will be an earth with no curse, meaning everything is going to work exactly the way God designs it to work. Now think about 
how much fun, how much joy, how much excitement God allows us to have even now in, in this broken and sin-marred world. Do we really think that the next perfect world is somehow going to be worse by being boring and, and, and dull? Man, no way. I cannot wait for what comes next. So how about you? Do you find yourself longing for heaven? Longing means a a strong and driving desire. Do we understand that death is but a passage to that new and better life? That's what we know is waiting for us. That's pretty good news in a messy world, isn't it? So our first point is the fact of what comes next. The, the second point uh, is, is the basis for what comes. And this will be a much briefer point on here. Look at verse 5. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. On what basis can we say for certain that what happens next is that we get a new body and, and, and to, use, uh, to use in a new and better world? Because God prepared us for this very purpose, for that purpose of having our earthly tent replaced by heavenly dwelling. God set it up. God did it. It's not something man-made. This is not just the, the wishful thinking of some daydreamer speculating on, oh, I hope there's a better place type of thing. It's God's plan. It's His purpose. And as God declared through the prophet Isaiah, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. He is going to do what he says he's going to do. And if he says something, we can count on it being exactly as he says. That is the basis of our confidence that we have, that God planned and prepared for us for this very purpose. So how did God prepare us? How could we possibly be prepared to go from this broken, sin-marred world to this place of perfection with no contamination. Well, the Bible says that He prepared us through Jesus Christ. You see, our own brokenness cannot enter this new life. Our sin bars us from the joys of eternity that God has planned. And so Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty of our sins. He suffered. Suffered to the point of death on the cross so that all of our sins could be forgiven. And if you admit your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and cleanse your heart, then you are made right, reconciled with God, prepared for this new life and eternity with Him. And verse 5 finishes this by telling us, that to prove this point, to prove that that's what he's doing, he, God gave us the Spirit as a pledge. And the word pledge can be translated as down payment or guarantee or, or a deposit. God gave the Holy Spirit as verification of his promise, of all that, that he has promised is ours in this new life. And through the Spirit, we get to enjoy even just a shadow of those benefits right here and now. The fellowship and relationships that that we can enjoy now, you know, filled with love and support and belonging to one another. 
the blessings, the joys that we share, the, those times of worship when your heart just soars with what's going on, those are all by the power of the Spirit, and they're just, they're just a glimpse of the glory that is to come. And that's a beautiful thing. So let's bow our heads. I want you to close your eyes. I'm not actually quite done preaching. I'm going to tell you two more things, two applications, but I, I want your eyes closed and just thinking about yourself right now. Two, two application points. These beautiful promises of a glorious eternity is only for those who have been prepared for it by Jesus Christ. So your number one application is have I allowed Jesus to prepare me? Have I come to Him for forgiveness of sins and for new life? If you have not, then, then today's the day. Jesus is calling you to this new life. You simply have to say, I confess my sins. And I'm asking you to forgive and to give me new life. But a second application point, if you have received Jesus Christ, then, then there are two things that should be true for you. Number one, it should give you strong confidence as you face every day. No matter what you're facing, no matter what fears, no matter what hardships, no matter what trials might be there, we have a strong confidence because we know that this is ours. And, and the second thing that should do to us is it should fill our hearts with gratitude and adoration and praise for the Savior who has made this true for us. It should cause us to want to pray, to sing out and praise Him. Father God, we are so grateful for Your Word that gives us these truths that we can know. And we pray that You would strengthen us day by day by these truths in Your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.